Hey there, this is Casey, and this is the Kentucky Trauma Therapist Podcast. Tonight we're going to be talking about pessimism and PTSD diagnosis. Uh, why are those of us with trauma so fucking pessimistic? Before we go any further, just want to point out there what you're going to hear in this podcast episode tonight. It's not intended to replace clinical care or advice. Uh, I love being a therapist, but I am not your personal therapist. So make sure to always take into consideration clinical care with your own care provider. Uh, Another piece here, I just want to go ahead and throw out some good trigger warnings, um, some content warnings on what we're going to be discussing in this episode. Uh, we're going to highlight uh, abuse of uh, power by authority figures, talk a little bit about some some child abuse pieces, uh, and, and going to talk just a hair about a potential loss of a pet. So uh, with that being said, let's dive on in. I recently came across someone who provided a very interesting lens on how to view PTSD, and I just really appreciate it. Uh, it's the idea that it's not something that is severely or inherently wrong with us, those of us who have that PTSD diagnosis, but rather that our brains and bodies have adapt it and learned a way to cope and survive through difficult things. And I found that really beautiful. Um, you know, so sometimes this ends up looking like people with trauma have that, that glasses half empty approach versus the glasses half full or, or even better yet, um, we're seen as pessimistic. So that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, a very unique symptom of PTSD that was actually mentioned in the previous DSM. Uh, it was in DSM-4. It was a symptom that they had listed under that PTSD diagnosis. And the symptom being a sense of a foreshortened future. Okay. So when I meet with a client for the first time, I usually broaden this symptom up for, for clients and usually ask the following questions. Do you just have this feeling nothing is ever going to work out for you? Nothing's going to go right. Or maybe even that you're not going to get the opportunity to live a full life. And I usually see, you know, people's eyes get real wide in acknowledgement. It's like finally having words behind this feeling that has been lingering for years, maybe decades, or perhaps their entire life. This idea of a sense of a foreshortened future. I personally have this symptom crop up in my own life pretty often and I'm going to throw out a couple of different examples here of what this would look like in everyday life. So, uh, bless my clients' hearts and my, my colleagues' hearts and my friends and family because they've been hearing me complain about this for a hot minute. I have been ill with a respiratory condition that no one can diagnose since August of this year. So, it's been three months, going on three months now. And at first, we thought it was allergies and and then there, you know, I saw five different doctors, one ER visit, and one allergist specialist later for them to determine, uh, we don't know what it is, but you're allergic to something. We don't know what it, you're allergic to. And you're not asthmatic, but you're having asthmatic responses. Cool. Okay. So um, I kind of got to this idea of like, maybe I should get an air purifier. That seems sensible, right? Like, well, if I'm having respiratory issues. Maybe I need to purify the air around me. 
Well, as soon as I had that thought of we should look into investing in an air purifier, that next thought that came up was, well, that's silly. Because like what evidence do you have that air purifiers even work? So you're going to invest in money in this thing, this machine that you have no evidence that actually works for one. Maybe people just buy air purifiers all the time and think they work, but it's actually, I don't know, like a placebo effect. Maybe air purifiers aren't even real. And that, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary folks and all the other genders in between, that is what we talk about um, with a sense of foreshortened future. Uh, Making that gigantic leap of, it's just not going to work out. Like, what's the point? Um, (laughs) you know, uh, another example I'll give is, you know, my dad, um, you know, I talk to my dad pretty often and, uh, I'll give my dad a call. And if he thinks even for the slightest hint, something is off in my voice, he will startle me with, it'll be like me, you know, he answers the phone. He's like, hello. And I'll be like, Hey dad, what's up? And he's like, what is wrong? What is going on? And then I instantly panic because I don't know, wait, what is wrong? And my brain jumps to, oh my gosh, maybe something is wrong. And I didn't know anything was wrong, but technically, wait, what is wrong? It's that instant panic, you know, that assumption, like nothing's going to work out. Like there's always going to be something wrong. I think of a, a much more drastic example. I had a family member whose mom, you know, every time they would watch a TV show together, if uh, there was a, a teenager or, or a female cast, I don't know, actress that, that something seemed off and you couldn't figure out what the punchline or, or what the theme of uh, storyline plot, there we go, I'll come up with a word eventually, what the plot of the, the story was going to be, their, their mother automatically assumed that they were a victim of uh, sexual abuse. There's always their gut reaction. Oh no, do you think this character is a victim of sexual abuse? And and like that's very interesting how our brains just automatically go to that. That sense of it's not going to work out, that something's wrong there. When trauma comes along, it, it takes bits and pieces away. And I think especially when it comes to that notion of trust, a sense of security, that faith that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. And we can't make sense out of trauma. I I mean, there's no mathematical equation that exists to explain why one parent abuses one child, but not the other. Or perhaps why one child gets left behind and the other gets taken. Or why one out of three girls and one out of four boys will be sexually abused before they reach the age of 18 in the state of Kentucky. Now, there are factors that can certainly predict trauma. And if we look at the state of Kentucky within itself, I'm, I'm not sure the most recent number, but we tend to be in the top five for the nation in regards to number of child abuse cases. You know, what makes Kentucky unique? Gosh, you know what? That's a whole other episode we'll have to cover another day. But for right now, let's, um, getting back to the, to the task here at hand, the sense here of a foreshortened future. There are loads of examples that exist. But I want us to just highlight a couple that I think would probably be the most relevant to folks uh, that I encounter, you know, in my own client population and other good folks of Kentucky and, and rural areas as well. 
Um, I want to first highlight loss of trust in systems that are destined to protect us. I'm sure all areas of the world have their own version of community, mental health. But, uh, you know, we look at local community mental health. You have these therapists who maybe assign caseloads of 50 plus clients, which is ungodly. And then we see these clients who get kind of buffered around in the system. Why should we expect them to trust or get close to a therapist when eventually they'll just leave? Community mental health generally doesn't pay super great. It's not necessarily for profit, but not always not for profit um, or nonprofit. I mean, but but the, the turnover rate is so high. So we see these clients get jaded. Maybe sometimes, especially clients who who need these services more than anyone. <laughs> Actually, I'm taking away that judgment. I'm not trying to say one person deserves care over another, but but that idea there of they desperately are in need of care. Okay. Well, why should I even develop a, a therapeutic bond with this therapist when they're more than likely to end up leaving like my last one? Okay. So that's that's where we get into that notion of, you know, foreshortened uh, for, for future with my treatment. Okay. Well, well, even continuing on while we're on the topic of healthcare, you know, fear of being treated um, a certain way by healthcare providers or or, you know, whether that's due to your type of insurance or assuming that just nothing will ever work out. I've had plenty of clients over the years tell me how they'll work on getting this symptom treated, whether it's a physical ailment or um, maybe the need for a specific mental health medication, that they'll work on it as soon as they get a job that provides health insurance and they can get off Medicaid because they already know Medicaid's not going to cover the drug they need or the treatment that they need to resolve the issue. It's that assumption it's not going to work out, so why even try? Why should I get my hopes up that some provider or some medicine is going to come through and work for me when all the others haven't? Or even, you know, I had a family member who always complained about having stomach problems. And, uh, you know, they never went to the doctor. Ever about it. <laughs> it went on for years and, and years, and finally they broke down and went. And uh, by the time they went, they found out it was actually cancer. And it was too late to do anything about it. But the thing that kept them from going to the doctor in the first place was a fear that nothing could be done about the stomach problem. End up, you know, that that ended up being what they passed away from. After they got that diagnosis, it wasn't a month later, their funeral happened. And then let's definitely talk about, you know, while we're on this topic, uh, that certainty, and certainty being in quotation marks, that law enforcement or child protective services involvement, like it's never going to work out. That the, you know, and that's a, a flip of a coin on either side of the argument, that either law enforcement or child protective services or department of community-based services. Like if, if they get involved, it's going to be awful and I'm going to be in so much trouble or the other side, if I call law enforcement or child protective services, nothing is going to be done. <laughs> and I mean, I see people argue for either side. Uh, you know, even in my, in regards to my own self, I remember 
the first time I had to call law enforcement as an adult, I had someone steal something from me. And, um, <laughs> uh, they didn't believe me for one. The, they didn't believe that, uh, my roommate wasn't my significant other. Uh, even though I tried explaining that over and over again in law enforcement, uh, you know, they let me know their limitations on what they could do. And that creating a very strong sense for me very early on that, you know, even if we have to call law enforcement, it's not for certain that things will get better. So, um, child protective services involvement, you know, I work for child protective services and, uh, I was an investigator for, for them. And, I remember, you know, letting people know, like, hey, someone called in these allegations, you know, uh, can I talk to you about them? And that automatic fear in these people that I was fixing to snatch their children away. Even if I didn't, like, allegations were nowhere near that. Um, that fear people had, that automatically as soon as they saw me knocking on their door, it meant that... Uh, their livelihood or their parenthood was about to be over. Another element to consider here, loss of trust in there being a future that holds anything positive. So like the traumatic event that, that happened, you know, it, it becomes this expiration date on anything new or happy to ever happen again. Like this idea of the good time of your life is over now. Think of when people... Uh, especially invest so much time and, and so much of meaning of their life into a, whether it's a relationship, whether that's a parent-child relationship or a, a spousal relationship or maybe a friendship. And then when something tragic happens and it's over now and, and there's this idea of nothing meaningful can happen out of life now. And in some cases, you know, I, I've had clients even report not being able to hold goals for the future. And the idea of creating goals for future events, it just feels unreal. It's fraudulent. Like, I can't tell that there is going to be a future. And if you're having a hard time relating to this, maybe exploring the notion of why do people pick up hobbies and then they don't follow through? And is there just an essence there if it's not going to work out? You know, I, I think of... <laughs> <laughs> I think of for myself the hundreds of hobbies I have picked up just to put them away because there's this idea of after after trying a certain amount it's like oh, I won't work out yeah this is not gonna work out might as well just put this away and that was from roller derby and roller skating to painting to insert whatever it's just this idea that there's no future in this Go ahead and put it away. And then the idea of a loss of sense in a future at all. You know, money, for example. Why, why even save money if I'm going to lose it all to the creditors one day anyways? What's the point? Why, why should I even go to work today? Because I'm, most of that money is going to be taken for child support anyways, you know. I'm going to die one day anyways, so what's the point in quitting smoking? My teeth are probably all going to rot out anyway, so let's keep dipping. You know, and, and then continue to use that for substance abuse. What's the point? 
or why go to college or 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 tech school and study for this exam when I might not even have a home to go to at the end of end of the month cuz I don't know how I'm going to make I don't know how I'm going to make mortgage or rent you know that that sense of loss of future what's the point and i you know i think of an old supervisor of mine who's very quick to say you know people living hedonistic ways and and let's look up the definition of hedonism real quick okay we got this uh according to oxford dictionaries hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure sensual self-indulgence okay i would go to argue that a lot of folks that maybe we judge for hedonistic behaviors, it's really, they just have this sense of, I don't know, maybe they have trauma history. Maybe they have a sense of foreshortened future. Why would I save for tomorrow if I could live today? Because I don't know when I'm going to die. All right. Uh, I want to offer this question. I don't know the answer. I'm, it's just a question. But, you know, do we as trauma survivors have a sense of foreshortened future? And then, therefore, we participate in behaviors that literally cause us to have a foreshortened future. Okay, that was a little heavy on the language. Let me try and find another way to put that. So, those of us who, who have survived trauma, we develop this sense of foreshortened future. You know, this symptom of PTSD. We just assume things aren't going to work out for us. So if we already assume things aren't going to work out, do we then do behaviors that literally cause things to not work out? Oh, shit. I think what I'm getting to here is do we (laughs) self-sabotage? I mean, of course, right? I mean, that's what this is. I think I I I answered it. I didn't plan on answering that question, but I guess I did. Uh, Yeah. If nothing's going to work out, then then fuck it. You know, why not? If I'm not going to get that raise at work, then why should I care if I show up on time? And then I don't show up on time enough. Guess what? I end up losing the job. So, so just, you know, self-sabotage. I mean, we know trauma increases our rates of, um, you know, participating in risky behaviors Drinking and drugging and substance abuse and maybe not the greatest sexual decisions in the world. Poor money management. I mean, all the things, right? So, so that would make sense. Huh. You know, no one asks for trauma. And we did not victimize ourselves by any means. But, but once the snowball of foreshortened future begins... I definitely do feel like it's something that can kind of essentially become an avalanche. So how do we end the avalanche of doom that we call a foreshortened future? Well, shit, isn't that a great question? (laughs) I mean, I think I'd start off by saying, like, I get it. You know, that wild ass look I give my trauma therapist as they try to explain to me that I won't die if I decide to advocate for myself at the next social function is the same wild-ass look my trauma clients give me when I try to explain to them that they won't die if they decide to stand up for themselves to their employer or their spouse or their children or whoever. So let's reflect for a moment where we began with this episode. PTSD is essentially a set of symptoms our body has developed in order to keep ourselves safe. 
my response to my therapist and my client's response to me, it's all the same. It's one of a lack of trust because PTSD tells us, you know, oh no, why in the world will we trust that we could do this behavior and nothing bad happen because we may not have a history of evidence that tells us that we can trust doing this behavior or asking for this need to be met. But here's the thing though, as long as you are no longer in that trauma situation, you may be able to be at that point in life where you can let that peace go. Perhaps that trauma symptom, it, it helped you survive a difficult time in your life and maybe you don't need that peace anymore. So let's pick on imaginary client named Sally. So for example, when Sally was growing up, if Sally asked for seconds after dinner, um, she would be denied or maybe she'd get hit or, or maybe they would even refuse her next meal. Her caregivers would and, and they would do it out of the name of her being a nuisance. Okay, well, guess what? Sally as an adult may be fearful of, of anyone being able to meet her needs especially around securing primary resources. So maybe Sally is prone to not asking for help when she desperately needs it. Okay. So when Sally's water heater quits working and her gut instinct is to not make a complaint about it to the landlord, because what if she upsets the landlord and then the landlord doesn't like her anymore? And if the landlord doesn't like her anymore, then maybe they won't renew her lease for the next year. And if they don't renew her lease for the next year, she doesn't know if she can find another apartment at the same lower price, right? Okay, so so that's all trauma talking, right? So in Sally's head, you know, that gut instinct is we don't complain to the landlord about it. It's that whole sense of a foreshortened future. That feeling that nothing will ever work out for her anyways. Because maybe even if she did bring it up to the landlord, there's all these possibilities, all these in-betweens. Maybe the landlord will say, uh, I'll get around to it later and it never gets done. Or, or maybe the landlord will blame it on her and, and she gets taxed with this heavy price for it. Or, or maybe the landlord won't be sympathetic. Okay. And, and here's the next piece. She may temporarily be okay not bringing it up. Like maybe the, the small discomfort of having a cold shower is better than, than overcoming the larger discomfort of addressing with her landlord that something's not okay with her living situation. Because maybe that discomfort feels safer than the possibility of asking for someone to help meet her needs and them actually confirming for her that they can't meet her needs or won't meet her needs. Because that's, you know, that's just saying the old same song and dance that Sally's known her whole life, her whole trauma story, that nothing's going to work out for her. Nothing's going to go the way she needs it to. And that people can't help meet her needs and that she can't trust people. However, for Sally, this may not be a viable solution long term. I mean, I don't know about Sally and I can't speak for Sally. I mean, after all, Sally is completely made up here, folks. But, but I do know for myself, I have taken way too many cold showers in the past to willingly go back. And this is where our trauma responses may no longer be helpful. That sense of a foreshortened future, that notion of I better not get my hopes up because if I get lit down again, it may be the end of me. Listen, it may be time to let that peace go. Now, I don't want to get this twisted or confused with the notion of toxic positivity because you're right. I, I can't guarantee that things are going to work out. And at the end of the day, I don't know, maybe 
Maybe Sally's landlord's a total dick. I don't know. Maybe he won't help with the water heater. But what we know for sure is if Sally doesn't bring it up to the landlord, the landlord is 100% for sure not going to be able to solve the issue. A tool that I find really helpful with the sense of foreshortened future being a symptom of trauma, it's a tool called decatastrophizing from cognitive behavioral therapy. You can actually Google that. There's a nice little worksheet from Therapist Aid um, that's really helpful in that. And, you know, just to give you an example here, decatastrophizing is the idea when you are catastrophizing, you know, the worst possible thing is going to happen. You know, going back to Sally, if I ask my landlord to come fix my water heater, um, they're going to confirm that they can't ever help me and that actually I'm a nuisance and don't deserve good things. Okay, so, so maybe, but um, or maybe not. And, uh, you know, I think for me, for example, I, I think of my dog, uh, I don't want to say his name too loud because he might come running out, but his name's Jack. Um, and Jack has ran away. I don't know, maybe 40 times. I swear it's not because I'm a negligent dog owner. It's because there's a hole in the fence at the dog park that, I don't know, you can figure out how to get out of. Or the thousand times he's found a way to wiggle out of a collar, no matter how tight it is, or or a harness, or all the different things I've tried on him. Or how slippery he is to run out the door, or to dig a hole under a fence, or (sighs) insert whatever. Jack has found a way. He's done it. Um, And the second he runs away, My first thought, he's lost forever. He's gone. He's dead. It's over. That's it. I'll never see Jack again. He's going to go die alone miserably or get run over. And that's the end. And that's where the tool decatastrophizing comes in. So decatastrophizing would ask you, all right, what are the odds of the unwanted thing actually happening? Okay. Like, give me a number here. On a scale of zero to hundred percent, what is the ratio of this possibly happening? And then what are the potential risks if they do? What is the worst thing that could happen? And if it were to happen, what are the chances of that thing happening? Like, seriously, give me that percentage. Write it down. And what is most likely actually going to happen here? Even if the worst thing does happen, what is the likelihood you will be okay a month from now? Or even six months from now? A year? Or even five? And here's the thing. Jack always comes back. I swear, he's like a cockroach. You know, there may be a day he doesn't come back. There may be a day he, he runs away and that's it. He's, he's gone for good. He's off to go fight or wrestle something three times as big as him. And just to explain for reference, Jack is about 25 pounds, maybe 30. He's gotten a little bit bigger in his age. But, you know, when I adopted Jack uh, with my, my previous partner from the Humane Society, he was such a shit They couldn't even keep him in the back with the other dogs, okay? They had to keep him up front in the cat kennels uh, because he kept starting shit with dogs that were a thousand times bigger than him. Um, You know, he, some of the times he's ran away, uh, a bulk majority of the times he ran away, uh, I was living in a small house uh, near the, the center of town and we had neighbors down the road that had pit bulls. And Jack would run away. And, you know, that instant thought, oh, no, it's over. Jack's gone. Jack's going to die. Jack's never going to come home. And a, a good chunk of the time we would find him, he, you know, 
down there where the neighbors kept their pit bulls, you know, the pit bulls would be barking at them through the fence while Jack's hiking his leg, pissing on their faces. And you could snatch him up while he was peeing on them, you know, midstream. You know, that's Jack for you, my little, little old guy. The reality is, you know, 40 times that he's ran away, there's 40 times he's came back home. You know, the odds are literally 40 out of 40 times he's wound up coming back safe, unharmed. I don't know how. Uh, You know, my friend recently joked that Jack will probably outlive me. He will be one of those pets that I have to put in my will who he goes to because he's like a a tortoise or a parrot and like how long he's going to live. The reality is Jack will pass on one day. And whether that's because of him running off into the sunset to try and attack something bigger than him, because he has little man syndrome, or or whether it's because the cancer gets him, or he finally eats something he shouldn't have, and this time the vet can't save him. You know, the thing is, it probably won't be today. And that's okay. Yeah, I, I think that's really what we're getting to here is that sense of a foreshortened future. I don't want to be toxically positive and say that, oh, everything is always going to work out for sure, always. But let me ask you this. All the times you were for sure in your head that it's not going to work out, does it always not work out? Eh, probably not. So for today, Jack is safe and well, uh, cuddled up in some blankets. He likes to burrow. He, He gets cold this time of the year. And air purifiers probably do work. There's probably science behind them that I will be Googling as I wrap up this episode tonight. And the reality is we will probably figure out what in the hell is going on with my respiratory issue. And I will probably get better. And uh, that sense of a foreshortened future. Don't let it bog you down today. If you can avoid it. And if you can't. Try and decatastrophize it. Try and point out the, the, the flaws in the idea that nothing is ever going to go your way. Try and fact check yourself if you can. Remember, feelings aren't facts. And even if it feels right now like everything's going to end, nothing will ever work out. Remind yourself that that's just a feeling. And that you don't have concrete proof or evidence. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. But most of the time we don't. That... Absolutely, things will just be terrible and shitty for the rest of your days. But uh, with that being said, I got to rest up my voice to prepare (sighs) to see my wonderful clients tomorrow. I'm so grateful to work with. As always, it's it's a pleasure and a privilege to get to talk to you, even though I might not know who you are. Some of you I do. Some of y'all drop me a line here and there and let me know that you're listening. I want you to know I really do appreciate when you do that. Uh, but thanks, though. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to talk to you about uh, this interesting component of a PTSD diagnosis that existed a DSM ago. <laughs> uh, it may not be in our current DSM, but I do think it's pretty relevant. So with that being said, I'm going to sign off. Uh, again, my name is Casey. I'm The Kentucky Trauma Therapist podcast is what you've listened to. And uh, you take care out there. Happy holidays.